ever say that to you? How about this one? We don't act that way in this family. Those are the kinds of aspirational statements parents sometimes make to their children, the value of which depends on whether or not the child believes what the parent is saying. You can say all you want that we don't act that way in this family, but I sure do. If that's the attitude, then not much is going to change. We're in the second week of the new year, the second week in our series Fresh Start. How do we get a fresh start in life? What is it that gives us the chance to start over? We pick up in Mark's gospel where we left off last week. As we read last week, Jesus had just been baptized. As he was coming up from the water, a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Then, immediately, the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. Isn't that always the way? No sooner have we gotten our fresh start than we immediately face temptation, some urge to go back the other way, some desire to renounce the resolve that we have just made, to throw in the towel, to, to sin away the grace that has just washed us clean. Baptism is a sign of a new beginning. It was so for Jesus as well. Not that he needed to be washed clean. There was no sin in his past that had to be forgiven. But even for Jesus, baptism was a sign of the beginning. It was the first act in his public ministry. It's not for nothing that Mark opens his gospel by saying, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he goes straight into talking about his baptism. This is the starting line of his mission. This is when he begins to reveal what he's all about and what the kingdom of God is all about. And as soon as he takes that very first step in fulfilling that mission, temptation. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. This story shows us that Jesus is just like us. Okay, he's not just like us. He's the incarnation of God, and we are not. But he faced all the same things that we face. As soon as he began to live out his divine calling, he came up against temptation. The same kinds of temptations that we face day in and day out. To depend on ourselves rather than on God. To exalt ourselves rather than God. To take the shortcut rather than God's path. To do it the easy way rather than the right way. Jesus was tempted. He faced the very real possibility that he could make the same kind of sinful choices that we all make every day. But he didn't. Jesus didn't sin. Jesus continued the mission that was launched in his baptism. Jesus resisted the wiles of the devil and stayed true to God. How? How did Jesus do that? He did it by remembering who God is and who he is. He knew all the way down to the core of his being, he knew. He believed it. 
that he was God's beloved son. No doubt he had heard the stories since the time of his birth. I'm sure that Mary and Joseph had told him many times about the message of the angel and the visit from the wise men and the witness of the shepherds. I'm sure that as he grew up, he had a sense of the divine presence within him. And if all of that wasn't enough, he heard that voice from heaven. Just before being driven out to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, he heard the voice from heaven saying, You are my son, my beloved. In you I am well pleased. He knew who God was and he knew who he was, that he was God's son. And when it came to sin, he knew we don't do that in this family. Not that he couldn't, just like anyone else, Jesus could have said, well, my father says we don't do that in this family, but I sure do. That would have been the end of it, right? But Jesus believed. He believed the word of God, and he lived every moment of his life on that word. If only we could believe like he did. Because the fact is, we have been given the very same status as him. We who are in Christ are part of the same family. We receive all of the same benefits as him. The passage we read from Galatians says that we have received adoption as the children of God. Not that this was our status by nature, the way it is with Christ. No, by nature, we were children of the devil. By by nature, we were enslaved to sin and bound to death. But through the redemption of Jesus Christ, we have been bought into and brought into God's family. Paul tells us in Galatians that God sent his son into the world that we might receive adoption as God's children. And he sent his spirit into our hearts that we might know this to be true. That when our hearts cry out, Abba, Father, we know that we are his children. Every bit as much as Christ is his child. And we are granted all the same rights and privileges that go along with that. That's the way it is with adoption. The adopted child has all the same rights and privileges as the biological child. A young couple decided that they wanted to adopt. They contacted an agency. They filled out the necessary paperwork. They went through the customary interviews and background checks. And one day, the good news came. There was a 10-year-old girl ready to be adopted by them. The couple proceeded to prepare a bedroom just for her. They found out what her likes were, what what her favorite colors were. They, They decorated the room. They filled it with toys that would match all of her interests. When the day of adoption came and the legal proceedings were complete, the the couple brought their new daughter home and showed her her new room. And she was overwhelmed by all that she saw. A room painted in her favorite colors and posters of her favorite singers all over the walls, toys and, and games that she loved. But as she took it all in, it appeared to her new parents that she wasn't very happy. In fact, she she seemed to be troubled by the whole thing. They asked her if there was something wrong with the room. She said, no, it's absolutely perfect, but 
I don't understand. What don't you understand, they asked her. Well, you say that this is my room and that everything in it is mine, but I didn't do anything for all of this. What do I have to do in order to be able to stay here? The parents were somewhat taken aback by the question. You don't have to do anything, they said. We're giving this to you in love. We, we love you, and we just want you to stay here and let us continue to love you. We're a family now. Everything we have is yours. It can be difficult for a child in that situation to believe what she's being told. If she's never experienced unconditional love before, it can be hard to imagine that it's true, that it will last. You couldn't blame her if for some time she fell back on previous expectations of, of heartbreak and patterns of bad behavior. She might live sometimes as though she was still without parents, even though she had already been adopted by the most patient and wonderful parents imaginable. And when those old ways creep up and start to take over, her parents would gently remind her, we don't behave that way in this family, even though she does behave that way, and she is in the family. And once she really starts to believe them, that's what it takes. She has to believe them. She has to know that she is who they have made her by virtue of adoption and love. God has adopted us in love. God has brought us into his family. He has given us the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus Christ. We have the same power to resist evil and temptation that Jesus had. But sometimes that's hard for us to believe. We're nothing special. We didn't do anything to earn this. How can it be? Too often we fall back on old ways as if we didn't already have the most wonderful and loving father in the universe. He keeps telling us, we don't behave that way in this family, and we say, oh, yes, we do. It's time for us to start believing the way Jesus did. Jesus knew his standing with God and what that meant. He believed the word of God and he stood on that word each moment of his life. And he began spreading that word to others. That's where the gospel goes next. Mark doesn't dwell on the temptation scene the way Matthew and Luke do. He simply states that it happened and then he moves on. Jesus came to Galilee and began to spread the good news, proclaiming the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Some things in this verse tie back to last week's message. The first is that word, repent. Remember that John the Baptist was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The life of righteousness begins with repentance. An acknowledgement that we have gone astray, that, that we have sinned, that we have made a real mess out of things. 
and that we need God to turn us back around, wipe the slate clean, give us a fresh start. That's what John's baptism was about. And so too with Jesus. The first thing Jesus commands people to do is repent. Because you can't get a fresh start in life if you think you've been doing just fine all along. If you think that everything you've been doing is just great, then why would you ever want to change? The first step of moving into the kingdom of God is recognizing that this world is a mess the way it is and that we are a big part of that mess. The world is the way that it is because of sin. And every time we give in to sin, we are adding to that problem. If we want to be part of the solution, then we need to be changed. We need for sin to be taken away from us. We need to renounce our participation in the ways of this world and turn back to the ways of God. In one short word, we need to repent. And we need to do it over and over again. Because the fact is, we keep getting turned around, don't we? Last week, we talked about getting a fresh start, having the slate wiped clean, being a new creation. But now it's seven days on. And I'm guessing that for at least a few of you, it might be time to start all over again. I know I haven't lived perfectly in the past week. I mean, I've done pretty good, but, <laughs> but perfect, righteous, well, this call to repentance is not a one and done thing. It's not like I can just confess my sins, say I'm sorry, receive forgiveness, and then I'm good from here on out. Because I do continue to falter and fail. I do continue to give in to sin. I do forget who I am in Christ and go back to the old ways. And I do need a fresh start every time I do that. The good news is that we can get a fresh start every moment, every time. You don't have to wait until January 1st, 2025 to start over again. You can do it right now. The atonement of Jesus Christ is available right now. Confess your sin, repent, turn back to God, and he wipes the slate clean this very moment. There's no need to stand in line. You don't have to wait for the paperwork to go through. It's already been taken care of on the cross. Believe on Jesus Christ, and it is done. That's the good news that Jesus was referring to when he said, repent and believe the good news. Repent, acknowledge your sin and turn from it, but for God's sake, don't wallow in it. Believe the good news. Your sin has been atoned for. It has already been forgiven. You have already been adopted, and you have been given new life yet again. Thank God. There's a paradox in these words of Jesus, similar to a paradox that, that we saw in last week's scriptures. Last week, in reading about Jesus' baptism and in some of Paul's writings about baptism, we saw that in baptism, we are made a new creation. The, the old sin-bound person we once were has been crucified. It is buried along with Christ, and we are raised along with Christ to new life. 
such that in the words of Paul, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And yet, we saw that sin always lies close at hand, that, that although we are a new creation, we repeatedly forget that, living as though we were the same old person we were before Jesus made us anew. We have been made new, but we act like we have not. That's the paradox. In today's scripture, Jesus declares, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Or the kingdom of God has come near, or the kingdom of God is within, depending on the manuscript and translation. Regardless of what version you read, though, the implication is clear. Jesus has brought the kingdom of God to us now, right here. It's already present and available to us. And yet, we look around at the world today, and we know that we are not living in the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. Russia continues to wage war in Ukraine. Terrorists continue to attack, attack in the Holy Land. Drugs continue to ravage our communities. Poverty and hunger continue to take lives. Even good Christians continue to say nasty things about their neighbors. How can Jesus say the kingdom of God is among us when our world is so clearly torn asunder by sin? How can, how can he say that we are already part of God's kingdom when we ourselves are so clearly torn asunder by sin? It's the same answer as it was last week, as it was last year, as it has been for the past 2,000 years. The problem is not that I haven't been changed. The problem is that I forget who I am and what that means. Jesus has already fulfilled all that is required for us to live freely as God's children and heirs of his kingdom. We don't have to do anything to get there. He has brought the kingdom to us. But what happens when we don't believe that? If we think that the kingdom of God is somewhere far off in the future or far away in heaven. We may get there one day, but we're certainly not living there now. If we think that way, then we will live as if all we've got right now is this world. Galatians says that we were once enslaved by the elemental spirits of this world, but that through our adoption in Christ, we have been set free from that. We if we believe that the elemental spirits of this world are all that we've got going on right now, then we can easily succumb to this world, to the devil, to sin. Jesus says you don't have to do that. Jesus says it's already right here. The kingdom of God has come near. It's time that we start to believe him. It's time that we get our act together and start living like we know who we belong to. We have already been brought into the household of God. And in this family, we don't act like that. In this family, we put God first. 
In this family, we live as members of God's kingdom and not as slaves to this world. In this family, we treat others the way we would want for ourselves. In this family, we love everyone. Everyone. Hard stop. In this family, we show respect and concern to all. In this family, we serve rather than wanting to be served. In this family, we forgive even as God has forgiven us. In this family, we not only believe in Jesus, we believe and live like Jesus. Because after all, we are his family. <laughs> 